The epistle lesson for today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This can be found on page 1,168 of your pew Bible. Written by the Apostle Paul, these verses declare the divinity and supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things in heaven, on earth, and in the church. Only through Christ's death and resurrection can we be reconciled to God and have peace. A reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning with the 15th verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. There was a young boy named Jack, and Jack grew up in the church, but the teachings of his Sunday school teachers never really connected with him. When he got a little bit older, his mother died tragically of cancer. And in the pain and the sorrow of that great loss, he decided in his heart that he did not believe in God. He still believed that Jesus was a good moral teacher who said some really helpful things for society, like turn the other cheek and love those who persecute you. But God, young Jack, did not believe in. And as he grew a little bit older still, he was interacting with some college mates of his, and he had explained to one of his friends this thing, that he still believed in Jesus as a good moral teacher, but he did not believe in the God of the Bible. Well, his friend really challenged him on this. His friend said that you believe in Jesus as a good moral teacher, but if he was just a good moral teacher, then how do you handle the fact that he said some things that would contradict that? For example, he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed divinity. And no good moral teacher would do that unless it was true. And his friend said to Jack, you basically have three options. Jesus was either a liar, lying about the fact that he was divine, or he was a lunatic who thought he was just God, even though he wasn't. Or the third option that you're left with is that he actually was who he said he was. He is Lord. Liar lunatic, 
or Lord. And young Jack considered this as well as other theological arguments and eventually came to the belief that Jesus really was who he said he was. And he bowed down and worshiped Jesus as Lord. Well, Jack was what his friends called him, but you and I know Jack by the name written on his books, which is C.S. Lewis. This is his journey to faith. When he considered Jesus being liar, lunatic, or Lord, you can't just be a good moral teacher and say the things that Jesus said. So what about us this morning? Do any of us ever fall into the temptation of relegating Jesus simply to being a good teacher in our lives who gives us helpful hints for living? As the bumper sticker I saw says, is Jesus just your life coach? (laughs) Or the older bumper sticker still, is he just your co-pilot? If so, if we've relegated Jesus to those things, we get confronted by these claims that he and the Bible say about him, that he is much, much, much more than just a good teacher. Today's scripture really confronts us with this truth, that if Jesus is who the Bible said he is, there are massive implications for our lives and for our relationship with him and with one another. So let's meet this Jesus of scripture as is described by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, beginning with the 15th verse. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, I only have about a 20-minute sermon, so I'm going to have to just read some of these phrases and not unpack them. We could spend an hour on that one alone, but we have to move on. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. That's the phrase where we're going to park just for a couple of minutes. In him, in Jesus, all things hold together. I was trying to wrap my mind around that concept. I was trying to visualize it. I was trying to comprehend this amazing statement from Scripture that in Jesus, all things hold together. It's hard for me to comprehend that, but... The Lord gave me this image in my mind, this picture in my mind of a linchpin. Do you know what a linchpin is? Can you show that picture there, Max, of of an example of a linchpin? You see this wheel, this gear system here, and this little pin in the foreground of the picture. That's an example of a linchpin. And it holds this apparatus together. If we were to pull that linchpin out, the wheel would fall to pieces. Everything would come apart. This was a helpful image for me as I was trying to comprehend this amazing, profound truth from Scripture that in Christ, in Jesus, all things hold together. Because the reality is if you remove Jesus from a situation, it's like removing a linchpin from an apparatus. Things fall apart. Do I need to bring out 
evidences in our culture today? Institutions, families, households, hearts. When we pull Jesus out of the equation, things fall apart. Aren't things falling apart in our culture right now? Maybe it's because we've removed Jesus from so many of those situations. Did you see this list of what is held together by him? Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things. They need Jesus. And we need Jesus. Lest they and we fall apart. So what are the implications of this amazing truth of who Jesus is for the church, for Christ followers? Well, that comes in the next verse, verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the head of the church, head of the body of the church. Now, this might come as a surprise, this next verse, after what's just been said about Jesus, that rulers and thrones and dominions and authorities, all the things that we kind of view as the power structures of this world. In him, those things are held together. Society, institutions, governments, they hold together if Jesus is in the midst of them. But the surprise might come in the next verse that he's the head of the body, the church, That's only a surprise to us if we have relegated church to just this one-hour thing we do on Sunday mornings. You know, when hockey season allows us to be here. When we're not playing pickleball or some other activity, we come and enjoy a little bit of fellowship in church. If it's just this one-hour thing that we sometimes make room for, church seems like kind of down the totem pole. But not according to the Bible, It makes sense that this would come very next in Paul's line of argument, that rulers and thrones and authorities are held together in Christ, and he's the head of the body of the church, because according to the Bible, church, this thing we're doing right now, this people that we belong to here in this room, is way more than a Sunday morning hour-long activity. No, in fact, according to the Bible, this thing we're doing right now will outlast all thrones and dominions and authorities in this world. This is stated both in the Old Testament and the New. Listen to Psalm 145, verse 13. It says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is with his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms that statement. And he says, yes, I will build my church on this rock. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So who we belong to when we belong to each other is Christ. And what we belong to is an everlasting kingdom that will outlast all the thrones and dominions and authorities of this earth. And we will be presented before the Father one day as his bride where we will live with him for all of eternity. That's way more important than an hour on Sunday morning, isn't it? And Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the body. In him, the church holds together 
and will live unto eternity. The gates of hell won't even be able to come against us. You might look around and say, well, the church looks a lot weaker than that. The church looks weaker than all of the thrones and dominions and authorities and powers of our world. How can it be that we belong to something that will outlast all of those things? What's going on with the church? Well, there's good news because of what Jesus has gone to to keep things held together in the church and in the world. We pick up the story in verse 19. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Through him to reconcile to himself all things. Picture that linchpin with me for a moment. Don't picture it put together like we saw on the picture. Picture that same situation with the linchpin pulled out and the gears and the wheel and the mechanism scattered and broken to pieces. In so many ways, that would be a picture of our world. Things have fallen apart. Things are broken. Even within the church where the linchpin of Jesus has been removed. So what does God do about that? God looks out at the whole situation, the brokenness. We've removed Jesus from these institutions. Things are broken. Things are falling apart. God looks at that and does he say, good luck with all that? No, look what he does. Through him, in verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things. You know what that word reconcile means? My children are taking Latin in middle school. And I've noticed this Latin word, it's conciliate. Conciliate. It means to make friendly, to make peaceableness, to make amenable, to make friends. To reconcile is to bring back together again in friendly harmony. That's what God has done. He sees things are broken apart, even in our rebellion of removing him from the situation. He looks down at the whole situation. How does he make this peace? How does he make this reconciliation? By the blood of his cross. By the blood of his cross. The most important, the most core relationship that we have broken when we pull the linchpin of who Jesus is apart is the relationship between us and God. We've broken that relationship. We've also broken the relationship with one another. What does God do about it? He says, I will remove the barrier now. I will clean up this mess that has been caused by going to the cross for them. And the pins were placed in his flesh and he was put upon the cross where he paid the penalty for our sins, our rebellion, our removing him from the situation. Even as he was dying, he was calling out to the father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And by his blood, he reconciled. He allowed the opportunity for us to make friendly again with him and with one another. Yes, even us. Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In him, all things hold together. 
All things. And even when we remove him from the situation and our situations fall apart, he enters back in to put it all back together again by his blood and by his grace. Really, what he's putting back together, it's easy to picture the wheel that we saw on the wall and a wheel falling apart. It's easier to visualize that. Or it's easy to picture an institution or a government pulling Jesus out and needing him to come back in. What that word is really talking about, reconciliation, is the putting back together, not of a gear or a wheel, but of relationships. Relationships are at the core. And relationships are falling apart as society falls apart. Was there any tension around the Thanksgiving table? This past week, should I pass around the microphone? We could tell stories of that. No? Okay. That's an example of relationships needing reconciliation. And the best way to bring that reconciliation is through Jesus Christ. What's our takeaway then from this? news that Jesus is Lord, that in him all things hold together, that he brings reconciliation through the blood of his cross. What would be our walk out the door idea in light of this profound truth about who Jesus is? Well, the scripture tells us in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from what? The hope of the gospel, the reconciling power of Jesus Christ to bring all things back together once again. It says, do not shift from that. Do not waver from that. Though all hell comes against you, church, do not waver from the hope of the gospel. I just feel compelled to say this. If I got hit by that proverbial bus, if your pastor got taken out, I'm not not hoping that happens. I'm just saying, if you have to replace me, look for somebody who holds on to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary. It's what we lift up and magnify here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not waver from it, it says. You know, I grew up in, in Michigan, as most of you know, and uh, where I grew up, everyone that I know, at least, learned how to water ski when you're a little kid. And I learned when I was little, and now my kids are old enough to teach them how to water ski. And I want to put this image in your mind as we consider this takeaway of holding fast, not wavering from the gospel. Well, you have to learn when you're a kid learning how to water ski. The main thing you have to learn is to hold on to that rope. Because as they're sitting there with their life jacket on, their skis kind of buoyant in front of them, and the boat is straight ahead and they're holding on to the handle of the rope, you know what they say next, right? They say, hit it! And the person driving the boat hits it. But what happens next is that this force, this thrust of water, comes against the body and the skis of the child. It's quite a bit of thrust. 
And the child has to hold on to that rope, and if they hold on to it long enough, they'll pop up and they'll enjoy water skiing. But it's really hard to do. Their little hands, you know, iPads don't train them to hold on to ski ropes. You got to hold on to that rope. You know, all hell is coming against us like the thrust of that water. Trying to break us apart. But we have to hold on to it. We cannot waver from the hope of the gospel. That's our takeaway. That Jesus is Lord. He is who he said he is. That means we bow down to him, we worship him, we hold on to him as our only hope. In a few minutes after we've taken communion, we're going to sing a song together. And I want this song to be our prayerful takeaway. It's called Christ Be Magnified. Christ Be Magnified. I really want to hear you sing it this morning. Sing it out. Make the words your own as a prayer. Because in a world that's falling apart, as a church that has all hell coming against it, this is our prayer, this is our takeaway, to magnify Christ, to make more and more of him in our lives, to put the linchpin back in the institutions and the households and the families and the hearts that are represented in this room. We will do this, we will magnify him, we will lift him high, we will hold on to that hope until he comes again. Amen.